it's there if you want to hear it. It's like it's a, a sneaky, whispery voice from the past. And uh, sometimes I hear it in others. Um, and sometimes you probably hear it in yourself. Uh, they may have said nothing directly to you, but it's there. Shame is a, is a shadowy character, I've found. It, it hides in the corners, underneath the floorboards, and it creeps around trying to be unnoticed. But you can always guarantee, if given a prod, it will come out and haunt you down. Shame seems to like splice into your soul that you are flawed. Actually, it's worse than that. It's more like you are a flaw, a mistake, an ugly waste of space. And I've heard people say that about themselves to me. Shame would never say with objective honesty that you have flaws. It always says you are a flaw. So we sit on a park bench as such with shame, like an old man or old woman critical of everything you do. They sit next to you and mutter reminders. Mutter reminders. You're this, you're that, you're this. And it's, it's a form of hell, I reckon, to have shame suffocate in your life. You melt into its personality and you become the shamed one. And shame just loves secrecy. It, it grows the more we hide it. And, and don't we automatically try to hide the failures? You know, ever since Adam and Eve plucked off some vine fig leaves and hid, it's always been the same. Hide ourselves. Hide the flaws. Hide the failings. Genesis 3, 7 says, immediately the two of them um, did see what was really going on. They saw themselves naked and they sewed fig leaves together as a makeshift clothing for themselves. They were in shame. And uh, we hide ourselves under activity, you know, under costumes, downplaying things, diversionary tactics perfected probably over the years. But these clothes are kind of fragile as a fig leaf. <laughs> They're makeshift. They're never perfect. Uh, always vulnerable and always requiring energy to maintain. And that energy that you maintain, um, that you need to maintain the, the fig leaves, uh, the protectors of your shame, um, well, that was meant for dancing. Uh, and it's so draining. But then we get used to it. It kind of just becomes the norm. And then someone comes and wants in to me see. And we think that if, if the dark place was ever known, then we would be rejected, abandoned and further exposed. So we keep up the pretense. We hide. What we as shame-carrying humans most need is someone to sit in solidarity with us. Solidarity. What a powerful word. That's some definitions of solidarity. Communion of interests and responsibilities. Mutual responsibility between two or more persons. Quality and community of being perfectly 
of being perfect, perfectly <laughs> united on some question. Interdependent, complete, entire. That's what solidarity means. And I think the most powerful gift you can give to someone when shame starts shouting is actually your quiet presence. Uh, you're there, quiet, reassuring, solid in communion with them. You don't downplay or minimize their confession. You don't downplay, maximize, or you don't upplay, sorry, you don't upplay, maximize, or condemn them in their confession. You don't expose them further to others by sharing their confession. You, you hold their confession in solidarity, in silence, compassion, and united tears. It's a sacred moment, you know, a place of um, what I would call a holy communion where, where love mingles soul to soul with a slow dance. Jesus actually sat with solidarity to the shame of an exposed woman. And there is a, a powerful image that, that I have a copy of it, actually, um, from the artist David Hayward. And it's the story of, um, it's a picture of a woman looking from behind, and she's got no clothes on, you're looking from behind, and in front of her is a brick wall with all these men looking at her nakedness. And um, it's a story about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus went... This is the story. Went across to the Mount of Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. You can imagine just swarms of people. And he sat down and taught them. Uh, the religion scholars and Pharisees led in the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone. Just think about that. Everyone could see her. Everybody could, was told what she had done. How much shame. Shaming her. Um, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such people. What do you say? Now, look, they, they were trying to trap him into something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Look, I would love to know what Jesus wrote in the dirt. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would like to know that. Um, but perhaps it's the word, the Hebrew word, nasa, in, well, it looks like an N-S-A, which means to take away, forgive, or pardon. You see, um, I want Jesus sitting next to me, writing in the dust of my life. I want someone like you, well, I, I look, I want someone like you to sit with someone like me. Someone who can be like a little Christ and quietly say, where are they? Where are the shame slingers? And they write Nassar in the dust. 
and feel that sense of forgiveness and love and that there's nothing going to block intimacy between us. And one of the joys I have is sitting with people and hearing their shame and then confusing it. <laughs> um, the shame says you're a reject, that no one will accept you because of what has happened and what you've done or what's been done to you. You see, shame can't serve two masters. And I am there saying you are loved. Shame hates that. It confuses shame. Love, love just confuses shame. It weakens its grip until it dissolves away, like those Pharisees who walked away. My encouragement is to sit with someone and write in their dirt of their life that they are loved, held, known, and forgiven. Shame has no place in this conversation. <laughs> to you. Hey, uh, here's some quotes. Love wins over guilt any day. It is sad that we settle for the short-run effectiveness of shaming people instead of the long-term benefits of grace-filled transformation. Richard Raw. In the moments of insecurity and crisis, shoulds and oughts don't really help. They just increase the shame, guilt, pressure and likelihood of backsliding. It's the deep yeses that carry you through. Focusing on something that you absolutely believe in, that you're committed to, will help you wait it out. Richard Raw. Shame is the raincoat over the soul, repelling the living water of Jesus that would otherwise establish us as the beloved of God. Andrew Kaminsky. An addict needs shame like a, dying, like a man dying of thirst needs salt water. Terence Riel. Shame helps us see our identity. Shame causes us to see our identity as flawed, rather than seeing ourselves as having flaws. Dan Allender. I think this is God's plan to meet me where I am, in all my ugliness, not where I pretend to be or wish I were. To meet me in my weakness and shame and fear, and to give me hope that God loves me, that He can change me, and that He can use me. Larry Crabb. Diets underscore one of the most paradoxical aspects of toxic shame. In dieting and losing weight, one has the sense of controlling and fixing the problem. As you saw earlier, control is one of the major strategies of covering up shame. All the layers of cover-up are attempts to control the outside so the inside will not be exposed. John Bradshaw. The best way to come out of hiding is to find a non-shaming intimate person or social network. The operative here is intimate. We have to get on a core gut level because shame is a core gut level toxic, gut level stuff. Toxic shame masks our deepest secrets about ourselves. It embodies our beliefs, our belief that we are essentially defective. John Bradshaw. To be known means that you allow your shame and guilt to be exposed in order for them to be healed. Kurt Thompson. Questions. Number one, what incidents have you had in your life where you felt shame? Two, what are the qualities of a person you 
would like to see before you open up to them about your shame? Three, how much does shame influence your behaviours? And here's a, a journaling exercise, journal uh, formation exercise. Journal words that would describe a person who can sit well with shame. E.g. words such as loving, compassionate, uh, understanding. Um, yeah, so that's my post for this week. Uh, I hope it helps. If you want to talk with me, please get in contact. Barry at turningthepage.co.nz And um, can I ask if you've watched this on YouTube, share it with some other people or listen to the podcast. Share it with somebody else. I'm sure it will help lots and lots of other people. And there's lots and lots of links in, down in the show notes below. Okay, thanks. Talk soon. Bye.